we go. Hey, how we doing? Oh, it's another late night recording from yours truly, Bosco and, and Zach. Zach. Unfortunately, <laughs> I mean our our movie reviews are usually late night. Yeah, because we watch them. Yeah. Well, we put them on around eight thirty ish. Yeah. Yeah. Prior to this, we were watching what that Woodstock '99 documentary. Yeah, that documentary. So. I'm telling you, you guys <laughs> need to watch that Woodstock '99 documentary. It's on prob- HBO. It's great. Yeah, it's on HBO Max. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the movie. All right, we're tonight today. we're talking about True Romance, written by Quentin Tarantino and directed by Tony Scott. Released in 1993. Um, it has an ensemble, what they call an man, ensemble man, cast. Man, real quick, before you li- before you list it off, I mean, my God, the cast in this movie is insane. Brad Pitt plays a bit part. Yeah, that- I mean, a lot of these, like Gary Oldman, same way. Like, their yeah. characters are, vi- are on screen for a very short time, but very memorable. Whether it's, yeah. it's Brad Pitt as the Honestly, stoner that's, that's, that can't get yeah. out, out of, off that's the couch. The thing. All the characters in this movie are pretty memorable, except... Samuel L. Jackson is in this movie for, like, on screen for a grand total of maybe, like, two minutes. And he fucking (laughs) damn near steals the scene he's in. (laughs) Um, Christopher Walken is in just one scene alone and is probably the... If not like the standout scene of the movie, I think it is the standout scene. I told you, I told you before (laughs) that I go back to this scene a lot because I just I love it. I think it's just. Uh, man, it's just so good. It's just it's just two guys ramping up tension and doing it and like uh, we'll talk about it later. Okay. So yeah, I mean those of those names we mentioned, you, you know, Dennis you had the Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Dwayne, Dennis Gary Hopper. Oldman, and man, man of a thousand faces. Let me tell you, for real, like that guy, Sergeant Reznov in uh, Call of Duty's World at War and uh, Black Ops. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Um, actually, he's Russian. He wouldn't say hell yeah, brother. He'd oh, say comrade. Comrade, <laughs> Um, so I mean, those are like you know top tier actors, but the uh, two stars of the film are Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Who uh, play the two Alabama lovers of, the, of this true War- romance? Alabama and Clarence Worley. <laughs> Clarence. <Yeah>. Clarence. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so my grandfather's name. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the RIP, yeah, RIP, yeah. Clarence Dane. <laughs> Hell yeah, Hell yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's, uh, I don't know, uh, where do you want to start with this film? Oh, there's a lot. Why don't we just because this movie, yes, it does have a it has plot, of course, mm-hmm. but this movie is a series of much like a lot of Quentin Tarantino's movies, mm-hmm. but this movie especially is a series of vignettes. Yeah. Like it's a series of like, you know, short, very memorable scenes. Like we mm-hmm. said with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper, it's a lot of it's, you know, actors acting against each other in like a very. I forgot to mention James Gandolfini. James Gandolfini before man, the Sopranos. Man, he he. Oh, so uh, let's just his let's, scene's really good too. Yeah. yeah so let's uh, let's let's talk about our our favorite scenes because I feel like it's okay. appropriate with this movie. Okay. So well, first off, the movie's about it's about the true romance aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, the true romance. It's this movie 
is basically about two people who fall in love. One's well, let's start off the top. Yeah. Uh, the ver- the first thing that I find interesting is you know this girl kind of like comes in in a movie theater and pretends to spill her popcorn on him as like an excuse to start talking they're watching bruce lee you know and as an excuse to like you know start talking to him you know they have a great night they watch the movie they go eat pie they do their thing and then like afterwards he finds her sitting out on the balcony and she's crying and she's like real quick before that one thing i thought was interesting is that i think that quentin tarantino as the writer has written like Clarence almost as a fictionalized version of himself. He, I see a lot of Quentin in the in the Clarence character, mm-hmm. in the aspect of him like being like you know him being obsessed with movies and you know uh, Quentin Tarantino he loves a lot of those kung fu those mm-hmm. old school kung fu movies. That's why he made Kill Bill. Um, you know that's why, and I think that this this character is really like it's a stand-in for him he like i i i see a lot of his perspective from that character and like the fact that like you know he's spouting references every you know that later becomes like kind of a tarantino trope prior to them going on this adventure running on the run with the cocaine running from the mafia um He's working at a comic book store. He's working right. at like you know yeah. uh, an out. I, I guess an outlet that you could see Quentin Tarantino if he yeah. wasn't a movie director working. He in actually at, like, he actually started off working in a movie theater. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but or no 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 sorry, it was a video rental store. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, and that shop that he shows. Uh, Alabama, where he works, it has like kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I guess a video rental store feel to it. So I, I think, uh, yeah, that this character is like a very like, you know, it's it's definitely a projection. Hit. Yeah, of, it's a projection, of... and I think that because one of the things that really when thinking about it is after they watch the movie, you know, this girl, which we'll get into later. Well, actually, you know, we, I think we should talk about it in the beginning, hmm. about Alabama mm. as a character, as a okay. role in the movie. Well, one, one thing real quick in yeah. regards to this perhaps being a type of uh, projection or outlet for Quentin Tarantino. Like, we mentioned this a couple times to our, our viewing of it. The f- f- film has a very... F- fantasy feel to it like it's not that it's not real it just has like a fantastical vibe to it where it's like almost like like this isn't real like this is happening in some you know 13 year old dude that's played too much call of duty's imagination you know (laughs) yeah definitely um so uh you know one of the things she says is she says uh well after i watch a movie i like to go to go and have pie and talk about it after right uh-huh. uh i think that's that to me signaled that this is almost like quentin tarantino's manic pixie dream girl uh-huh. you know what i mean so yeah. let's 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 get into that because okay. i think it was one of the first things we talked about mm-hmm. once it started and by the way if you're wondering if we're those if the, we're those guys that pause the movie multiple times to talk about it for a second yes we are yeah well that's <laughs> also because i drink and watch and i have things to say when i've been drinking yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we all know that um so so yeah so First off, let's let's go over the idea of the manic pixie dream girl. Because if 
like I, I even mentioned to you one that you were like, oh, that's actually interesting was mm-hmm. Annie Hall. I feel like yeah. she's like almost the proto the prototypical. Yeah. Um she's the proto she's like the archetype yeah. for the manic PC that gets played on later in movies still to this day. I like yeah. the idea more so the first phrase you're gonna go with prototypical. Like that yeah, feels yeah. like they more of a uh an early start right. to what um, the manic pixie dream girl would become right. because, you know, the classic is Ramona Flowers and Scott Pilgrim right. versus the world. Right. You know, so just, you know, real quick, the idea of the manic pixie dream girl is is a character, um, obviously a girl, who is there kind of, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plot trope, essentially, and the character is themselves somewhat of a plot device in that they exist to kind of fuel a male character's story arc and their development and like they kind of come on the scene as like a oh hey i'm not like the other girls type character not your average girl alternative oh i'm weird you know yeah quirky (laughs) whatever oh i'm weird yeah and um And, like, that's exactly everything the male characters ever, ever looked for, because they're more, like, you know, it was, the ter- term was coined by a, a, a reviewer writer, in, yeah. in the 2000s. It's, like, you know, it appeals more to, like, the man who has the, quote-unquote, more delicate sensibilities, right. you know, not and, super macho. And let's be but... honest, that's who Quentin Tarantino <laughs> is, all right? I remember this one, this one uh, cracked video about, like, how he kind of, like, morphs into whatever room he's in. I think it kind of shows a little bit of, a, like, insecurity and not, like, fitting in the crowd. So I could see him as the sensitive type, for sure. Um, of course. But, I mean, it, it's, like... The idea p- appeals to like the writer type, yeah, you know, so of, it's, of this girl who's there to just purely drive the well, it's, lead male character's growth, and like they fit into everything that the guy character has ever desired, and right. like they're very one dimensional too in this yeah. weird way, um, and and you know also a lot of the times they end up just being uh they end up just being a way for um the writer to kind of project his own fantasies yeah. on it's not a, a real person yeah. the manic pixie dream yeah. girl is not a real person they exist purely in like literature and and film and writing yeah. it's not like how human beings actually no, are no so, so oh being i was just gonna say like you mm-hmm. know talk talk you know in talking about alabama warley mm-hmm. uh i think she is and she isn't. Yeah. Because at the beginning of the film, yes. yes. Towards the end, no. not so much. I actually, at the end, was thinking that Clarence fits perhaps what could be a... A manic pixie dream boy? Yes. <laughs> and, but not exactly, because it's more like the bad boy. Think of James mm. Dean type. Like, the bad boy. And I thought of this when she was writing on the napkin. She kept writing, you're so cool. And she gave it to him. And then she kept telling him, she's like, you're so cool. You're so cool. And I think he fits what would be the uh, counter type to the uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl for the female viewer, the female writer, which is more of a, of a like, bad boy James Dean. Like, mm. I'll do anything for you. I'm so in love with you. I'll, I'll kill for like, you. I'm not like all the other uh, boys. I'll kill your pimp. I'll run away with you. We'll go. We'll get a bunch of money. I'll do anything and we'll run away together. Bad boy vibe. So in this 
and and that is at the end. So I think it starts with the manic pacey dream girl, but then turns into the uh, leather clad bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> dream bad boy. Yeah, dream <laughs> you know? bad boy. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, I think both versions, a both f- female and male version of like right. this alternative, um, kind of outcasted, whatever punk rock, you know, yeah. uh, character that's not really a real person, quirky and yeah. you know, just madly in love with the Well also Cla- other. Clarence also talks like no other person talks. Yeah. Like only probably <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. You know, and both um, let me tell you about this, okay? I love movies. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and both of them kind of look ridiculous. Like the uh, uh, Alabama, Alabama she wears is, a lot of loud yeah, colors. Yeah, she had loud colors and kind of looks like uh, like what would be like a roller girl at Venice Beach. <laughs> no, you know and, what I was thinking huh. of? She looked like um, like people who were into rockabilly. Yeah. Like what their girlfriend would look like. <laughs> like, you know? a like, yeah, like a psycho girlfriend. Yeah, like a psycho billy girlfriend. And Clarence himself looks like a bass player in a... L- underground london punk band in the 80s <laughs> <laughs> he looks like sid vicious <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um i want to talk about so yeah i think there's a lot of dimension to her care i think mm-hmm. in the beginning yeah you like you said you could think that but as the movie goes on you kind of see a little bit more to her nothing like I don't think there's a lot of depth to either of these characters, really, mm-hmm. because it doesn't. There's no like. They're just they're, the most deep as it gets is they're both madly in love with each other, and they're not happy with the current situation they're right. in, and they want to run away together. Right, and you know they like you know they grew up in um, in uh, well he grew up in uh, Michigan, Detroit. Detroit. The movie starts in Detroit and right. then ends in Hollywood. Right. So. Um, so, okay, well, actually, you know what? I was thinking talking about scenes, but I actually want to hmm. talk about overarching things okay. sad, before okay. we get into it. So, one thing I, I, I like I, I like about this movie is that this movie is v- very meta. Mm-hmm. This movie is very... Like, that's what I find the most interesting about it, is that this movie is, in a way... There's like two movies going on, to be honest. There, there's the like, it's this is like twin, twin, Quentin Tarantino's uh, version of a romantic movie. Mm. Like this is about as romantic that Quentin Tarantino would ever. Even though I know he just wrote it, but still, like the the there's a lot of dialogue heavy scenes, and you like. That's, like, where Quentin Tarantino shines, I think, in all of his movies. I mean, you know, just thinking, you know, I think he also builds on this this um, ability to write these very tenseful scenes because as his career goes on, you notice that, I mean, like... In like I was telling you, my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie I think is Inglorious Bastards. I love it. Love Inglorious Gorlami. Gorlami. Um, but the, I think. That, or even Nurchie. <laughs> I think that you know, in the beginning scene of that with uh, Christoph Waltz and the French uh, milk, uh, the farmer, dairy farmer, dairy yeah. farmer. Yes, thank you. Mil- I almost said milk farmer. <laughs> or wait, what was it in Star Wars? Luke Skywalker. He's a moisture farmer. Moisture what, what is farmer. that? What is he? How do you farm moisture? <laughs> I mean, I guess you're in the desert, so you need moisture. They collect but... it between two panes of glass. That was always the image in my head when yeah. I would hear that. Like they have like 
two very thin panes of glass very close to each other and it like con makes condensation They're like ah oh, the moisture and they collect that <laughs> i gotta farm it um so you know like that scene is probably one of the most like one of the best scenes ever made in film in my opinion is the confrontation between christoph waltz and the farmer and you see that like he's start like you can see of what's to come in this movie mm-hmm. from Quentin Tarantino as a huge fan you know especially the scene between Christoph Walt not Christoph Christ uh Christopher Walken CW mm-hmm. you know close enough uh very similar names yeah. and Dennis Hopper and uh, you know that's probably like either that or the James Gandolfini scene with uh Patricia Arquette mm-hmm. is like probably the most tense filled scene. Okay, maybe other than the last scene too. Okay, there, but you know, what I mean, there's a lot of tense filled scenes, and that you know, like even uh, Hateful Eight, you, you know, that movie's full of tense scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's and the, the way he does this is really, really well done. Like, and in you can just tell that this is his forte. It's like writing dialogue and creating very dynamic scenes. Especially when you get to the ending scene of this movie, you see that this guy, like, he just, he has, like, a... It's so... It, anyway, I'm getting off topic. But the point is, is that, like I was saying, is that it feels like there's two movies going on, right? It feels like there's this romantic movie, right? And it's like... It's set to the score of Hans Zimmer. We didn't mention Hans Zimmer did the oh, score. Yeah. Um, Hans awesome. Zimmer's awesome. He's he's like one of the best. Next to like he was the- at Coachella like several years ago. Yeah, and we were watching that live. Oh, that's right. I, yeah, I and yeah. Uh, there's a few people there, and he like kind of came on as a surprise, but like people knew he was coming on, and you could like the whole crowd was like Hans. Huh, and yeah, like we're like, dude. dude, Hans Zimmer's at Coachella. <laughs> dude, I mean, he can play the whole Inception soundtrack, and that'd be fucking <laughs> lit. Um, so yeah, so you know, I feel like there's two movies going on, and it's set to the main theme of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, I mentioned this to you before, but like the parts where they're like they're so like whimsical and they're so you know f- fantastical and they're they're like talking about their dreams and. You know, not really living in the real world that they're mm-hmm. this real world that they're in in this movie. You mm-hmm. know, what I mean, they're kind of like they're kind of their heads are in the clouds, right? That's why it's like dun 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 dun. dun. You know, yeah, it's, the very, it's very whimsical, xylophone, right? Backing tone, right? It's very like it's very. I don't know. It's almost like okay, this is, you know, it gives you that feeling of like oh, this is a, and. The time I noticed where it's like slowed and it's a little played a little bit slower was the scene after she gets beaten and he's like, you know, doctoring her up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it gets played a little slowly and it's like about like, you know, like, oh man, we're almost like facing the reality of our situation. But then they go back into being, and then the music kicks back in and then they go back into, you know, being crazy in love and being just, you know. Yeah, it's like they're so madly in love. It's like, they the, don't notice the, that there's a yeah, whole gang war around the, them. The <laughs> events of the real world become a backdrop. Yes, you know. Yes, so very much so. The uh, the madness. A couple times in this film, yeah. Um, the, the a movie from the '60s is mentioned a couple times. Doctor Zhivago, which was released in this in 1965, if I was remember right, and. Um, 
it was criticized because it's about it's a love story that takes place during the Russian Revolution where the love story kind of overshadows the real world events that are happening and like trivializes and makes like light of the uh, real world event that is the Russian Revolution you know which is massive upheaval right. and a lot of violence and all kinds of shit going down but like they are like mildly inconvenienced by the um events of the Russian Revolution like it mildly inconveniences their love arc you know the right. love story that's happening the love yeah, story that's, is that's paramount the- to what the film is like amidst like a world of you know a world that's basically a revolution's happening a world that's being massively you know changed and is in chaos right but like the love like that is merely a a slight you know speed bump or an inconvenience to their love story and their eventual end which is like to run away and uh You know, and it actually has a you know, and this movie has like a happy ending without it being corny. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it's like you know, it's like it ends like happily. They you know they're they're in Me- living in Mexico or on some beach, whatever. Ha- yeah, and you know they're they they're they're just enjoying life. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it's, it's almost like there wasn't just a bunch of murder <laughs> yeah. in between. <laughs> and you get away with it all, <laughs> right? Nothing happened. <laughs> it's almost like they they saw the end goal mm-hmm. and and they were just like they're like whatever it takes to get there, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever it gets to. Well, you you know, back to the uh, idea of the. Uh, the meta script of of this of this film, uh, a lot of Tarantino's kind of seem to be commentaries on the film itself and the greater movie industry. And right. like when it comes down to like you know the mass violence that takes place in movies and the casualness of it, the right. banality of the deaths and the violence right. and it's almost like it doesn't even fucking matter yeah it's like i don't like like i said when he was doctoring up after james gandolfini beat her it was like it was almost like that didn't even happen i mean he goes from a dude working in a comic book store to like killing tons of people being involved in this really violent world and like kind of comes to like rather cool like from the get-go when he has the interaction with drexel Gary right. Oldman's character, like he's immediately like the psycho killer. Like there's yeah. never, there's not like a, you know, a you know a, a moment where he's like, well, you know, oh, what? I'm just some guy that works in a comic book store. I've never done this before. Like he immediately comes to and is immediately like living in this, you know, very violent, right. very intense world, and it's very, and it's not like really. And it's, like, in the movie, it's kind of just, like, yeah, that's just how it is. Like, it's not, like, ever called out, like, oh, nobody ever comes in and they're, like, you know, like, what's going on with you? Or, you know, like, his dad, you know, he goes and tells his dad that he murdered the pimp Drexel. And his dad's, like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, everybody just kind of accepts it, you know? Right. So, the thing with Quentin Tarantino's movies that I know a lot of people have commented on is, like, just 
like how much the violence is almost seems to be just so ordinary and right. just so like commonplace that like you right. don't bat an eyelash at it and the greater With, idea in in the meta sense is that right. it's like a a greater look at film and how much you know audiences kind of just accept violence as right. commonplace in film like where it's not a typical thing yeah, in and everyday tying life back to one of our old other movie reviews when we talked hmm. about Caligula oh yeah you know a lot of what we talked about is that you know, I think the, the a lot of the reason why the movie got, you know, kind of slammed was because it was, it had a bunch of sex in it. It mm-hmm. also had a lot of violence, yeah. but, you know, people don't see the violence through the sex. And it's weird where we draw our lines. And I think mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino sees that. And not to go heavily deep into this, but one of my favorite subreddits, I love uh, fan theories. I mm-hmm. like, I like especially movie fan theories. And it's even almost been kind of confirmed by Quentin Tarantino at this Damn. point is that he, that all of his movies exist in a similar universe. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this before, uh, before we started recording that when they murdered Hitler violently in the movie theater, watching a movie about a German guy killing a bunch of American soldiers. Mm-hmm. It was just this massive orgy of violence that just, kind of created an even more violent America world than, you know, we live in now. And that's, like, kind of, like, the lens that all Tarantino yeah. movies exist in, yeah. which the, I find interesting. Yeah, the idea is that be due to the events of England, and even prior, because you can look at Django, which that's obviously true. would have taken place, that's true. you know, the violent, you know, overthrowing of the slave master through just mass violence and then the overthrowing of the fascist dictator right. through murdering him in a theater like shooting him until his face tears off and you know? like and like what kind of effect that that would have yeah. on society yeah the, that's, yeah, the that's idea being that the world being changed through these you know viciously violent events created like a cultural zeitgeist right. in America because all Quentin Tarantino's films are, other than, I guess, Inglourious Bastards does take place in Europe. Well, but the majority of them are take place and are viewed through an American lens. For that, sure. That the, you know, because of the violence in this Tarantino universe, that it's created, like, a cultural zeitgeist of violence. And I think the you question, know, if this is true, which, you, who knows, but if that's true, it might be... Tarantino asking in the real world, like, why is our movie going experiences centered around, like, you know, hyper violence and whatnot? I'm sure we'll come back to this topic in future film reviews. Like, this is our first Tarantino, and he's not even the director in this one. Like, we say he's just a writer, but, But like, I'm sure we'll do a Tarantino one in the future. Yeah, well, so what I was saying is, is that, you know, talking about the ultra violence, a little bit of ultra violence, um, that. I think, yeah, I think I agree with you on the point that I think he, like, the greater message is that he's trying to challenge our views on violence. Mm -hmm. But it's almost just like, I mean, you think about all of his movies, there's always some hyper-violent scene in it. Mm -hmm. There's always, you know... A A lot of times the end conclusion is like a mass shootout, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, like in this movie... Very stylized shootout, too. I mean, the end of Inglorious Bastards is Brad Pitt carving a swastika into Christoph Waltz's head. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, well, right before that is the movie shootout, Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) The theater shootout. And I think that... 
you know, it's a very, it, it's, it's very interesting that he, he kind of had that in mind. Well, what I was, oh, I remember what I was going to say. So in Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. I showed you this, uh, Uma Thurman's character talks about this Foxy Force 5, right? Mm-hmm. And it's basically all the characters from Kill Bill because, you know, Quentin Tarantino had already written out a lot of the ideas that he wanted to do for films. And he knew he wanted to do, like, a kung fu-style film because he loves, he loves like, old-school mm-hmm. martial arts. And Bruce Lee is literally it keeps showing every time they're watching TV they're like watching yeah. Bruce Lee yeah a Bruce Lee movie or a Sonny Chiba who's another mm. um martial artist mm. um so I think Bruce Lee also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah the worst scene of that movie no I thought I love that scene <laughs> I love that scene. scene I don't care what anyone says he talks about the Foxy Force she talks about the Foxy Force 5 right mm-hmm. but if you look at the the events in Kill Bill it's crazy violent, right? Yeah, you know I mean the Uma yeah. Thurman as the bride in Kill Bill, she kills all of the members of this death squad, and then in Pulp Fiction, it's like, oh yeah, we made it into a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like it's like this is the world that Quentin Tarantino placed his movies in, and you can see that already from like the beginning. You can mm-hmm. see that. There's like there's something off with this universe that Quentin Tarantino movies live in. Yeah. But um. So yeah, let's uh. Oh, one more thing. I want to talk about one more thing. The whole aspect of you know this this like movie referencing movie making referencing being in a movie mm-hmm. right. It's almost like a lot of the times the characters are self aware that they're like the main characters in this movie because they talk about movies in a way where it's almost like it's very like you said it's very yes yes it does feel like the main character does know that they are the star of the show i think it goes back to this idea we we mentioned about it kind of having this fantasy like feel to it and it to me it feels like it's cooked up in some dude's imagination. Like it's some dude having a daydream, you know, you're, you're bored in class, whatever. And you daydream up a whole scene where some girl's madly in love with you and you kill a bunch of people very casually, even though you've never killed anybody before. And you work in a comic book store and you, 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 kind of have this, you know, fantasy imagination you where, Quentin you know, was you're the board. main character. Nothing can hurt you. Like, bo- even you get the bullet goes, the bullet hits him at the end, but, it, you know, it just grazes him. He just yeah. gets a boo-boo, yeah. you know, and, and now you know, nothing can hurt you. You're yeah. untouchable because you're the main character of your own fantasy, your own imagination. I think it also has a lot to do with the fact that Quentin Tarantino wasn't as, um, he was just a writer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He wasn't a name enough. He, I, don't, I don't even think Reservoir Dogs had even come out yet. It had just prior. I think oh, Reservoir Dogs came out like a year or two prior. Okay. Well, that movie was uh, like practically an indie movie. It was made mm-hmm. for very little money. And um, I think that, you know, this movie is representative of like Quentin Tarantino's like, what is true love, right? And I think in Quentin Tarantino's warped mind... I, I think he's like, how can I show that in a movie of, like, a true romance movie? You know, to the name, True Romance. I think he's like, true romance is when 
murder and violence is happening all around you, and you're all you can still think about is b- how much in love you are with each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's like, and and his view in this movie, the scope of the you know he wrote this through. I think that's what he was trying to get at with the title is that is that this movie is a true love story. Mm-hmm. All those other love stories and like romance movies, they fuck they're fucking they're they're shit. This one, literally people's you know, people are getting shot, beat, you know, it's very violent. Mm-hmm. And I think He's like, but that doesn't matter because that's how how in love they are, and I yeah. think that's what there Clint- is a lot of like very oddly romantic moments, I guess, where like or like, large gestures of love, like whether it's a yeah. early scene After when he, he goes to her to Drexel's house, her pimp's house, to get her stuff back, you know, and you know is re- willing to risk it all just for her clothes, you know, and or how she stands up to James Gandolfini's character in the hotel room when he's like, where is he? What is he doing? And she stands up to him and, you know, won't give, won't give because she's so madly in love with him. She'll take a big beat down, you know, just to protect him. There is like all, a lot of moments like that where it's like, you know, that's the true romance, I guess, (laughs) aspect of it. Which is, man, Quentin Tarantino needs to go to therapy. (laughs) I mean, it's an interesting title because I remember that when we first watched this movie years, years probably I've, like I've, almost I've, a decade well, ago I've, I've wa- I watched this movie in high school because I had no friends <laughs> um, <laughs> it was maybe man it must have been maybe seven or so years ago yeah. um, that we first watched this and you're like oh Zach watch this movie True Romance with me and I was like dude True Romance like you just you're told like, me the title and nothing else yeah. I was like what well, I don't want to watch some weird romance movie and, with you and you were no surprised. no no you you won me over because you show me the scenes, the the little vignettes you mentioned. You show me, a, sorry, a couple of the scenes that right. you know, like oh, the the I Brad Pitt, yeah. Brad Pitt stoner scenes, or the uh, Christopher Walken versus Dennis Hopper scene. Yeah. You know, those that was enough where I'm like, oh hey, this isn't some weird sappy notebook esque love yeah. story. It's like, you know, that's the the title is a little bit of a misnomer where it's like. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's a romance movie, but it's also like a an action flick. <laughs> it's but, like yeah. it's like a romance movie thrown in a blender with a you know super violent action flick. Right. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the scenes now. So all right. So hold on, I have one more question. All right, go for it. Um, what do you think of the Elvis shit? Because there's a lot a lot of references to Elvis. Elvis is basically like his spirit guide every time he goes to the Hell bathroom. Yeah, dude. Like a, a disembodied guy. Elvis. It never really shows the Val face. Kilmer. It never shows the face head on. You wouldn't know who it is unless you looked it up. Like, um, you know, the disembodied face. You just see the body with a glittery, you know, blazer on. And it's Elvis. That's basically his spirit guide. I think, like, what do you think about that? I think it's like um, he shows up in the movie in times where Clarence needs to man up, mm-hmm. you know, needs to, you know, like kind of get some confidence. And I think, you know, in his way, he, 
he like he does he view himself as an Elvis? If I guess, this I is think like so, yeah. occurring, if this is occurring in the imagination of the well, like writer well, the, in the last scene, you know, and one of the things she says at the end is she's like, "I just kept on saying you're so cool, mm-hmm. you're so cool." Yeah. Is that he wanted to be like Elvis, and yeah. in a way, he he just the bad boy Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> I've always liked you. Always have. Yeah, that's always what he will. says. Yeah, <laughs> you know and. You know, something about, you know, this, uh, one more thing about Tarantino, Tarantino's style, it's very Americana, you know, and um, Elvis himself is like an embodiment of like the 20th century Americana, you know, so for me, the, the Elvis part is kind of like a shout out to like the ideal, like, rock star guy which is who this guy is trying right. to be whether it's punk rock or elvis or rockabilly or whatever you know like that's who that's the direction this guy's trying to go that's who the girl sees him as is like this ultimate rock star and right. that becomes his his guiding force is right. like the ultimate like Oh, you're a kick-ass and everybody loves you. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had and you know fucking, kung fu. I would nothing have, can get in your way. I wish I had an Elvis Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> you wish you had an Elvis every time you go into the bathroom and you're you get embarrassed at a party. You go into it's the like, bathroom. Hey man, you're handsome. Don't forget it. <laughs> Knock it off, Bosco. You're the best. <laughs> All right. So let's, you know kung fu. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go into the scenes because I right. think this is very important. We got to talk it because this movie is very scene-driven. Whether it be short or long scenes, I know that sounds so basic, but in this movie, he makes the scenes almost seem like short films in a way. Like, they seem... They're so good that they stand on their own, I guess. I mean, shit, you could even... I don't know, like... I, I love the Brad Pitt parts, just first off. Small, small it's so first. Funny. I love... He, it was he was like he was an up and comer at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was super popular. Yet. Yeah, early nineties. Yeah, he must have been young, perhaps even younger than us. Yeah, at and, the time of filming. Right, and so I think that you know just kind of you know now know you know I he's one of my favorite actors. I mean we've we've talked about this at our two favorite actors are Leo and Brad Pitt because they're handsome <laughs> and they're good at acting. I mean they're in a lot of great movies. Yeah, That's- that too. That too. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, seeing him in this small role is just, it's super funny, too, because it's like the whole movie, he gives away where they're all at, you know what I mean? But he's just like, he's just some dude kicking it on the couch. He's like, it's his bed. It's like he's out of it, you know? And so he's kind of just like... There is like a uh, directional advice for for the mafia when they come knocking on the door. Yeah, and he's just like, oh yeah, hey, and they're like, do you know uh, Dick? Oh, yeah, he lives here. Oh, do you know Clarence? <laughs> I think I do. Yeah, yeah. and then like kind of like just always lets them know where they are just because he's right. just so stoned, so out of it. Right. <laughs> um, we I know some people like that. <laughs> Um, do you? Yeah, I do. I'm looking at one right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, first scene that comes to mind. Let's just talk. Let's just get it out of the way because I think it's the defining scene in this movie. You already mentioned it. Walking versus uh, Walking versus Hopper. Um, this scene. And you mentioned. Uh, sorry, you mentioned the. Uh, uh, first scene of Inglorious Bastards, Christoph Waltz at the house interrogating the uh, dairy farmer. 
there are a lot of parallels, I think, between right. that scene and uh, the one in True Romance. Right. Because, like, you're... Because... It, <laughs> one thing I noticed, this is kind of a funny note, but they kept on beating him up and then handing him something to wipe himself up with, which I thought was really funny. It was, like, what... a polite, violent <laughs> interrogation. Well, because, you know, they were wops. They were Italians. <laughs> they were, you know, mobsters. Um, And I think, uh, you know... Christopher Walken, he basically plays like this, um, you know, like basically like a second in, in charge kind mm-hmm. of guy. That's the vibe to, I get from To him. the main mafia controller who's never seen. He's only yeah. mentioned. Yeah, he's only There's mentioned. never shown. So, and then uh, Dennis Hopper plays Clarence's dad. Who's an ex-cop. Ex-cop. Um, so, I... Uh, you know, and Des Hopper, like I said, he's only in this movie maybe 15 minutes, 10, tops. 10, 10 15 minutes tops. And his arc is crazy. It goes from you learn you learn that, you know, he was an alcoholic father. Mm-hmm. You know, he was He hasn't he, seen his son in three years right, prior. So strained relationship. Living in a trailer. Living in a trailer. You know, like and this guy kind of sees this as his one moment to redeem himself for his son, mm-hmm. you know, a worthy, a just cause. Yeah. Uh, and man, the interaction between the both of them is just so legendary, dude. This is one of my absolute favorite scenes of all time. <laughs> I, because I just love, first off, as, as a history, bu- a fellow history buff, I know you can appreciate the fact that he slammed him with history. Hilarious. I don't it, think it's true. No, it's not it's true. Not it's not necessarily true. true. It's like a very, uh, bastardized version yeah, of history. Yeah, very bastardized. Which is, you know, which, <laughs> and funny racialized. The, yeah, and racialized for sure. You know, it was just like kind of a way. There to, is a gratuitous use of the N word in right. this scene. Well, yes, yes, very, very much. Which is, you know, I think as we watch it works Tarantino in the movies, scene. we have to kind of address it that Quentin Tarantino uses the N word a lot. In his yeah, movie. but it works in the scenes. I, I under, no, no, I understand, and I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. But what I'm saying is, is that that's one of his biggest criticisms. Is that a lot of people have problems with the way he uses racial language in his movies? Mm-hmm. That's one of his biggest criticisms. You know, I've listened to you know podcasts where it's you know uh, it's a bunch of black folk reviewing film, and I and one guy that I I love his taste in movies. He's like I I, I can't stand Quentin Tarantino because I think just I just think that fool's racist. In his movie, and you know, it's writing though. You can't censor yourself in writing. If that, if the N word works in that scene, so be it. It's. Do you want them to change all Mark Twain novels to say Negro I, Jim? I, I understand. I understand, but I think it's worth mentioning at least because that's yeah. his, that's his big. That's one of his biggest criticisms. Um, Fair enough. But I, I mean, this the impact of this scene would be so much less if they're saying. Just Negro. Well, the whole point... Or blacks. Whatever it may be. is so that Dennis Hopper can get a rise out of him as mm-hmm. being the yeah, person... Yeah, that's what he's trying to do. As as being the person who has the least he's amount of power st- He's like Stonewall. Scene. Yeah, he has no power, and he like turns it on, on its head. Right. And becomes the commander of the interrogation. Right. He knows that he's out of control. There's a bunch of dudes in his trailer right. pointing guns at him. We can't even ass. repeat lines from this movie, because <laughs> yeah. that's how much like, the word is used. We're both like, we want to say, like, we're close to being like, this is what's being said here, but better not. Yeah, <laughs> and, better uh, not. And, um... 
don't cancel us, but, um, So, okay, but one one line we can't say, which I think was funny, was... He calls him a cantaloupe. He calls him, and then he's like, and you're an eggplant. <laughs> you're a cantaloupe. <laughs> um, but the, the... He really does turn the interrogation right. around, though. And, and Christopher Walken is literally in no other scene in this mm-hmm. movie. But you know he's hilarious in it he's too. He's hilarious. The way he's looking back at his at the at the guys, he's like, "This guy, get a load of this guy, guy like yeah. he's obviously getting he's like, ready to murder yeah. him at a certain point. Once he's already, you know, he stands up. He's like, I love this guy. Kisses him. Yeah, and he's then he, great. And then he goes and talks to his homie, and he like he does this like little look back, and he's like, "This guy, this guy, what a character, what a card." Um. And I love the line at the end where he's like, I haven't killed since 1984. <laughs> yeah, as he's doing that little look back, he's grabbing the gun from his friend. Yeah. And hold on, I just thought of this. At the end, when the cops are listening on the wire to the yeah. conversation Clarence is having with, by the way, just a re- quick return to the meta sense, they're in Hollywood selling cocaine to movie producers, right. essentially. But anyways, when Clarence is in there trying to sell the cocaine to the movie producers and the cops are listening through the wire, they keep saying the same thing Christopher Walken said about Clarence's dad, where they're like, man, I love this guy. He's crazy. Right. I love this guy. Look at right. how he's controlling the situation. Right. Both of them do that. Right. You know, control the situation. Yeah. An intense... So, just... Honestly, that this movie is worth it just to watch this scene alone. Yeah, and I mean, the, how- the scene. The, my other favorite, other than this one, is the when he goes to Drexel's house. Yeah, the I, player, was just, I was just about to bring that up. By- and you know, funny enough, I want to bring this up because you asked me about Elvis. I think when you look at the way he the way he carries he wants that Elvis swagger right because he yeah. realizes like in order the coolness to, the tough you, guy so that him and his girl his wife can be free mm-hmm. he's gotta he's gotta tap into his inner Elvis swagger baby mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know and uh in that scene I think it's that's you know Elvis shows up to him before that scene you know as kind of like a pump up you know like hey man you gotta yeah go Elvis is the one do. who tells him to go kill Drexel yeah. Elvis comes in he's like you know what you gotta do man and then he's like if I had a lady that had that was in that situation I'd go and kill that guy you gotta do that too and he's like oh you're right you're right Elvis I do have to go yeah. kill <laughs> yeah and, and and you know kind fu- of insane and but. funny enough Elvis doing that is, in a way, Quentin Tarantino saying pop culture is leading him to violence. (laughs) You're going to go down that road? Yeah. (laughs) The pop culture and video games and movies lead to violence? No, 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 no. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with with that point. I know. But I don't agree with that point whatsoever. But what I'm saying is, is I think it's like, you know, it's just funny to think, like, Elvis is literally this embodiment of Americana, like you said, in, you know, it's just funny, you know. That right before that, you know, I guess built into Americana is violence. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that scene, that scene is great. Fucking Gary Oldman, dude. It, like, literally, all the actors in this movie that they act against, I think there's no one, there's no slouch in this movie. Mm-mm. Other than maybe Michael Rappaport. He was the least memorable character, <laughs> let's be honest. He's still funny. He's still funny. He's still He's funny. the aspiring actor, too. Yeah. He's trying to be an actor. Yeah. And you know, I, I and he's the most like wishy wash character, I guess. Right. Um and so like when he goes into Drexel's house, like the way 
uh, sitting there eating Chinese food. Right, right. Calls him out because, you know, he offers, he's like, yeah, sit down, have some food. And he's like, no, no. And he's like, that's how I know you're scared. Because if you didn't give a shit, if you really weren't scared and you didn't give a shit, you'd sit down, you'd grab an egg roll, you'd kick your feet up, and you'd watch the TV where, by the way, you didn't even notice the titties on the screen. That's like what he tells them. Right. You know, and that's how he like, kind of calls him out as being like, oh, you're scared. Right. You're a punk, whatever. Yeah. I mean, our buddy couldn't couldn't even recognize Gary Oldman. That's how <laughs> he's got dreads and he talks like a black guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a wankster, basically. <laughs> but it's so good. He's so good. He plays such a violent psycho, but it's like it's well done. And 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 a lot of the characters in the movie they have like this simmering intensity. Like mm-hmm. a lot of like the big bads in this movie, they have like you know the the Christopher Walkins, James Gandolfini. You know, like a lot of them have this like very simmering intensity. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. How but. he keeps shining that hang the hanging light yeah. at him like, and then, like an then swinging it towards yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> like almost to check him, and then he catches him. He's like, yeah. "Oh, you think you're a football now?" <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that's a great scene, and you know, it just like. It kind of just starts off the violent war path. And you're right. A lot of these scenes are somewhat disconnected from one another. So, yeah, I guess it can be looked at as vignettes in a way. Like, or... Um, I mean, even if you look at Reservoir Dogs, Reservoir Dogs, in a way, is a series of vignettes. And, you know, telling it's actually, in a way, almost a mix of great storytelling and... Um, you know, like the kind of vignettes, because if you think about that movie, the movie is very disconnected, mm-hmm. you know, in a way, you know, they change perspective. Yeah, and, and there's James Gandolfini and Patricia Arquette right. scene so, in the hotel okay, room. Yeah, let's go on to that scene. Right. That scene is, I, I was, because I, I hadn't watched it in a long time, and just, just seeing that scene again, I was like, man, this scene was fucking good, dude. Like, the way James Gandolfini, man, like, I, man, I love that guy, dude. He, he's R.I.P. R.I.P. Gone but not forgotten. Uh, <laughs> he's having a big old plate of gabagoo in the sky. <laughs> this uh, was a scene I think that landed him the role at, in, yeah. as Tony Soprano. Yeah, no, and you can definitely see it. Um, he is like so menacing, but the way Patricia Arquette like acts against him is almost just like. Alright, whatever. Oh, she comes in, she's like, Oh hey, what's up? What he like doing? borderline falls in love with her Dude, during this for scene. Real. Yeah. He's like a violent psychopath. I mean, even at one point he goes like he's like, you know, the first kill, that's the hardest one. He's like, after I just wanna, you know, kill to see a different expression on their face. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's you buy that he's a, a crazy violent psycho. Cause he also he also does this thing where he's like he's like, Look at you, you're just the cutest button and he's like <laughs> or he keeps telling her she's got heart every time yeah. he thinks he's got her and she's ready to confess where Clarence is at yeah. you know and then she like gives him the finger grabs the corkscrew right. to try and, and stab him he's like you got heart I like that and, and because I mean if we're talking about like the overall theme of violence because he's so accustomed to violence at one point she's just battered beaten up and she grabs a corkscrew and she st- you know and he's like go on I'll give you a free shot I'll give you a free shot. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like he opens up, he open takes off his shirt and he's like, go ahead, right here, right here. And he points towards his chest and she stabs him in the foot. And he's mm-hmm. like, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, you know, it proceeds to get really violent, you mm-hmm. know, from there. I mean, it's already, you know, 
I, I mean, the part also, too, where he's, like, spinning her around, and then he just cold cocks her, and you're like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> sets the tone. Um, and then I like the part where he's already, like, beaten the absolute shit out of her, and he's like, all right, no more Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> and it's like, dude. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, but, man, he really plays a deranged loon. Like, but it's not, like, so over the top, like... I feel like Drexel is almost, like, over the top. You know, in a way, like, you know, he's, like, Drexel's calm, but, you know, he explodes. But the way James Gandolfini explodes in this way is truly memorable. Mm-hmm. You remember it. Like, um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I I really liked that scene a lot. It was shot really well. Um, in a way, you can almost take like a feminist, uh, a feminist view on that scene, kind of like a feminist the, one. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> no, because like the like she was she does un- win, I guess. She, no, but she, but the thing I would say is like she's like unflinching in the face of this dude being like a straight up. He's like a golem. Mm-hmm. He's like a giant monster, like yeah. compared to her. Yeah, and even so, she, like she's unfazed because yeah. she's just like she's just like. She's so in love, mm-hmm. you know, and she's, uh, you know, she stands up for her man. That's right. <laughs> Stand for your man. And she won't, uh, she doesn't get, give it and like, you know, give him the, the, uh, pleasure whereabouts of, her, of Clarence. Right. And also he doesn't give her the, I think he's looking for fear in her. Or st- submission of right. some kind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the fact that she doesn't give that to him, you know, um, is gives very, her the W yeah, <laughs> over gives, him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, you know, funny enough, it reminded me of uh, this this story about Richard Ramirez. One of the stories of, like, one of the invasions he the did. The serial killer. Richard the serial killer, yeah. <laughs> um, well, was, we're talking about violent okay, psychos. Yeah. Um, the one story where the girl, uh, uh, you know, her roommate gets murdered. And then uh, she comes home and then she deflects the bullet with her key, right? And there's one point where she talks about how she looked him in the eyes and he sh- he saw that she wasn't she wasn't scared mm-hmm. at this point. And uh, like he just let her go. Hmm. you know, and I think that I think that's you know, you know it's it's it can kind of tie to this because, you know, I think the fact that she didn't give in and that she didn't, you know, play, you know, play, she didn't act the way that he expected that, you know, it led to his old, his demise, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah. I mean, she straight up blows him up with a shotgun and then beats, proceeds to beat him with the gun to, and you hear his head blow open. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. Um, let's talk about the final scene. Okay. Yeah. Right. The final vignette of this. So this final scene, um, is is it's fantastic. It's it's a great um mag I don't know if I'd say mag it's like a great um ending to this movie, mm-hmm. you know. It's it, it is the final culmination of everything. Right. Like, it's all the storylines coming together, yeah. all the and the the you know, Clarence and Alabama are there trying to meet their end goal, sell the drugs, sell the drugs to the them, movie yeah. director who they've been connected to through their friend Dick, and the police are there, they're on to them, they get involved, the mafia shows up, everybody's pointing guns at each other, nobody is, is gonna back down, you right. know, and then it just explodes in violence. Right, and, it, and it's funny that the thing that starts, so, 
there's a standoff between the mob, mm-hmm. the police, and uh, the guy, the producer, the, Lee's uh, henchman. Yeah. Um, and the thing that that starts off all the violence is he throws a pitcher of wine. A at coffee. The, oh, coffee. Yeah, yeah coffee. At, at uh, his assistant who Who's was wearing, wearing a wire. Fit, you know, like, and that's what starts all the shooting. I think that's <laughs> hilarious when you think about it. Like, that, like, they're, like, at this Mexican standoff and just, you know, him pouring, you know, hot, you know, pouring coffee on this guy. He's like, all right, we're going to start opening. <laughs> and, like, the guy, the guy, uh, Elliot, who is his his assistant, straight up gets, like, you see for a second, he gets, like, riddled with bullets. <laughs> yeah. Um, same with the producer, Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually, like, the first to go. Because mm-hmm. uh, they're, like... Clarence in the, is in the bathroom being talked to by, by Elvis. Elvis. <laughs> He's having a pep talk. Um, and... Dick I think and, the, 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 and Alabama are on the ground. Right, right. And Michael Rappaport's character mm-hmm. and uh, Alabama are on the ground. And one of the interesting things I love about this movie is that the cops listening to The Wire is almost a stand-in for us, the audience, mm-hmm. right? Because, because like, the cops are going, like, man, I love this Clarence guy. He's awesome. <laughs> and in your head, you're kind of like, yeah, Clarence talks cool. He yeah. is cool. Like, yeah. he embodies cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's... You know, like like I said, the whole point of Elvis being there is that he want you know he wants to be this cool dude, and yeah. um, he's the Elvis of violence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, the, but I'm just saying like the way he uses his language, the way he uses his word, like yeah. when they were talking about the coke deal. Over he's the very f- smooth, right? And when they talk about the coke deal over the phone, he does the thing where he references. Dr. Shivago as, you know, the Coke, and he mm-hmm. ta- they talk about the Coke deal in terms of the movie, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious, where he's like, well, you know, I usually take smaller films, not a big, massive film like this, and he's like, he's like there's a lot of guests, there's a lot of stars, <laughs> you know, but the cops, the cops are almost this audience, right? The cops are, you know, when they're just listening to The Wire, it's it ties back to the whole meta thing because they are the audience. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're reacting in the way Quint, you know, the, you know, the vision of this movie was they expected the audience to react. And mm-hmm. it's funny because they kind of nailed it in a way. You know, yeah. I mean, you, like the way they react, you're like, man, this guy Claire's guy's awesome. <laughs> He's like, yeah. You know, it was like, or, you know, or when they talk about Lee, like, oh, man, this guy's funny. <laughs> I mean, they, they literally are just an audience yeah. at this point. You know, and... Uh, but they do bust in, though. Yeah, they do bust in at a certain point. It leads to the standoff. Basically, everyone dies, except Michael Rappaport. It's an everyone dies ending. Yeah. Al- Alabama, Clarence. But they do a psych out with Clarence, because yeah, he's gotten... Do- Shot ish. He's a great. Yeah, by it, the it, it, it's not. It doesn't. I mean, I'm sure it hurt, but I'm just saying that it doesn't seem like the craziest injury. And literally, well, people people are getting fucking shot to fuck it all. Also, hell. the room is filled with white because at one point I think it's Dick Michael, or Alabama yeah, yeah. throws the case with all the cocaine in it, and it gets shot and blows up. So there's white powder everywhere, and then like all the couches and pillows have exploded. So there's feathers and cocaine everywhere and the room is just like a haze of white you know at the end of the shootout right and um 
I think it's funny that while everyone's getting shot, the camera chooses to focus on Alabama and Clarence because they are, you know, the main characters mm-hmm. in this movie. But it is almost it's hilarious because the theme becomes a very apparent there that the violence is the backdrop of the romance, but mm-hmm. the romance comes first, which is interesting. Very, yeah. it's a very interesting way of telling and also this type of story. You know, the idea too that it's like perhaps just very fantastical and imaginative. Right. That, you know, it ends in this you know hailstorm of bullets, and if you're the uh, <coughs> the fourteen year old kid imagining this like of course you're you might get shot but it's only it's only a flesh wound and the girl comes to you at the end and you've lived and everybody's dead and you know you make out like a bandit right you know and then they casually walk out and all the police there's tons of police throughout the hotel and medical staff and they just casually walk out without anybody batting an eye at them yeah and make their way down to mexico where they live happily ever after and they name their kid Elvis. Elvis. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I want to know what love is. I want to know what this. You want to know what true romance? I want to know true romance. <laughs> I need. I need that in my life. I need some romance. Well, you got to start by being as cool as Elvis, and then maybe. All right. You could achieve well, that. Yeah. Just I won't do all the illegal stuff. Elvis yeah, I guess did. you gotta have Elvis as your spirit guide to make it in this country. That's the. Uh, that's the message of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't think I've ever felt a type of love where, you know, you're just, you, every, the whole world becomes oblivious to you. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't, yeah. and, and I think that's, um, it's a very uh, fantastical way of, of mm-hmm. viewing romance. It really is true romance. <laughs> yeah. Everything else is fake. <laughs> um, you want to go into our final thoughts? Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, unless you got anything else. I got nothing else. All right. Um, you want to go first? I'll take it first. So, um, everything we've said considered, um, this is a very enjoyable watch. Uh, the cast is great. There's tons of great scenes that are engaging and funny and, like, just... They have you on the edge of your seat type scene. Bizarre, too. Bizarre. And, and like, all those scenes alone, they're honestly just worth looking up on YouTube. For real. You know, as you had done the show this, Me prior. This movie is like a mosaic of mm-hmm. just crazy... But it does come together well. It does come yes. together yeah, that's well. Why, that's why and I view it as like a mosaic, like a like a mural. Yeah, like, you know. Uh, so you got that effect of all these wild, outlandish scenes backed by great acting and coming together with this weird, dazed like xylophone soundtrack, and over this action-packed film that's contrasted with like kind of a fun and kind of unrealistic love story you know falling in the place you know as you follow either characters i think either whether it is you relate more with clarence or you relate more with alabama i think that they're they're they both as characters have something to offer the viewer in terms of like getting enthralled in the fantasy of it you know and and it's a very '90s movie too, which For is, real. Like, you know, yeah. It's also kind of fun in that in that regard. So, 
overall, I would say I would say that this is a is is a must watch. It must watch for a Tarantino fan. It's, and yeah, especially I think that's that's. I'm sorry, just real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that. If you are a fan, there's a lot of people who love Quentin Tarantino movies, mm-hmm. but it, I think as far as like his mass audience, I I'm curious how how many of them who are like really fans have seen this one because mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit of a deeper deeper cut, you yeah. know. And I think when you see this, sorry, just go on, sorry. So yeah, um, all that aside, it's it's got. So much to love about it, whether it's Elvis or the wacky romance or the intense violence or just the weird vignette-like scenes or the awesome cameos from all these awesome actors. You know, I think there's something in this movie for everybody. (laughs) So, um, overall, I would like to give this movie, um, at least an eight. At least an eight. Um... And, yeah, that's about it. At least in eight. And uh, solid. It's it's a fun movie and deserves a little bit more recognition. I dare you to not like this movie. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I love this movie. Uh, You know, when aforementioned... uh, I mean, I had friends outside of high school. But in my high school, I didn't have a lot of friends. And so I became obsessed with movies. And Quentin Tarantino... You know, he became one of the first directors I really, I really liked. You know what I mean? His movies are these just wild rides, let's be honest. They're Mm -hmm. just, a lot of his movies are just like, you know, even with one that maybe people don't like, like Hateful Eight, you know, that one is, it takes place in one setting, but it's still a wild ride. Most of his movies are these, like... You Credit know, to the director, too, Tony yeah, Scott, yeah, for yeah, making, no, he, bringing Quentin Tarantino's vision through the screenplay into sure. life on screen. Correct. And, uh, you know, I... I Yeah, I, I think what Zach said is is great, you know. I mean, if you think about just aspects of movie making in general, there's literally nothing you can't, you know, that you, like, every aspect of this movie, they kill it, I think. Other than maybe a overarching story. Like, the overarching story, like I said, it does come together, but if the story had a little bit more depth... Yeah, I think it, the story does leave a little bit to be desired. But, it's pretty surface level if you look at it just from the outside. Right. Like, okay, but, yeah, I mean, you guys if you found at, some cocaine and go I and mean, run away from the mob. If you look at The Big Lebowski at surface level, you could say that's a movie that doesn't really go anywhere. So, you know, in a way, you can do movies like that, I guess. You know what I mean? Um, but I... I, you know, I love the acting performances in this movie. I mean, it really carries this movie, right? And the fact that they have so many different actors giving incredible performances, whether it be funny. I mean, most of them are funny, but like, you know, like intense, intense too. Like, you know, like I love the way Quentin Tarantino builds tension. It is really, really something to admire. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the setting is very interesting. I, I just, I love 
damn near every aspect of this movie, other than I said the plot. But this movie just has so much going going for it. I love, you know, looking at vi. You know, I love <laughs> looking at violence. I like <laughs> looking at violence through the lens that Quentin Tarantino sees it, mm-hmm. and I think it has. You know. It shows kind of a reflection of American society because Quentin Tarantino is an American product. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As far as that, he is a product of America. You know, twentieth century, right? You know, that's Gen why, X. Even though I hate using generational labels, yeah. but um, gone. But you know, his. Oh fuck! I just lost it. Fuck. Um, generations, fucking. Quentin Tarantino. Probably yes. Cut. So Quentin Tarantino, I I love that he you know, he takes a lot of chances and his overall vision is usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. I he has really no misses in my book, to be honest. I've I like damn near everything he's done, and I'd rate it favorably. And this one I like a lot because it is it's it's a weird seeing a, a you know I don't know I just I I am at a loss for words because I just I just like this movie a lot <laughs> I just like it a lot I probably give it an eight and a half maybe eight point seven five if we're really splitting hairs but mm. I give it like a strong to de uh, a deep strong to decent eight that's what I would probably put it at okay um you know I uh, you know I hope I find love as real as Clarence in Alabama someday. <laughs> well, embrace your inner cool and uh, have yeah. Elvis as your spirit guide. Yeah. Guess that's the lesson. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for this. Fucking list. watch this movie and follow Elvis. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to do it for this this week. We're out of here. Peace. Thank you for listening. A little less conversation, a little more action All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me A little more bite, a little less spark A little less fight, a little more spark Close your mind and open up your heart And maybe satisfy me Satisfy me, baby Maybe close your eyes and listen to the music Dig to the summer breeze It's a groove and I can show you how to use it To come along with me and put your mind at ease hey! Less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. A little more bite, a little less bark. A little less fight, a little more spark. Set your mouth and open up your heart. And baby, satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. Come on, baby, I'm tired of talking. Grab your coat and let's start walking. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't procrastinate, don't articulate, girls get late, you just didn't wait around. A little less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction.